When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, everybody. I'm Al Melchior. I am here with Eno Saris. And uh, it being spring training, and I suppose I could just say it being baseball, we do have a lot of injury news. Uh, We'll be getting to that shortly. We're also going to take a look at some spring training stats and try to figure out what's maybe relevant and what's not, uh, because... It's spring training, so uh, we do have to be careful about these stats, but there's some interesting ones, so we're going to consider those in a little bit. So before we dig into all that, just a reminder that if you have not yet subscribed to The Athletic, now's a great time. You can get in the door at uh, $2 a month. Just go to theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. All the draft kit material is there. There's more to come from both me and Eno and everybody else, of course, at The Athletic, so uh, check that out. And, uh, you know, uh, I know it's, you know, again, sort of a broken record. I know we've done some previous episodes on spring training uh, injury updates, and this isn't going to be the last one either. But uh, let's uh, start by talking about uh, the, the, the big news from Wednesday night, Edwin Diaz uh, in the World Baseball Championship game, uh, Puerto Rico, uh, with the big win over the Dominican Republic. But uh, Diaz in the postgame celebration injured his knee and uh, looks bad. Uh, I have not seen anything uh, as of this uh, time. can't uh, put pressure on it or can't walk off as bad, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he is uh, slated to get tests on Thursday, which is right now when we're recording this. So I've not seen anything yet. But, uh, you know, operating this, you know, somewhat of an information void. You know what? You know, one thing, though, uh, there's been a lot of diaper filling about this and uh, some like really prominent media people calling for the end of the WBC because of this. And I think that would just be a real shame. I mean, uh, just watching these games, it's it's really interesting to me, too, because, um, you know, one personality made a, uh, a reference to where their grandmothers got laid is that's that's the only reason why people are playing in these certain uh, for these certain teams but i kind of um think that some of these teams have really had their own personalities you know and uh they sort of seem to come from their cultures a little bit you know like uh it was very different watching dominican public against puerto rico last night than it was watching you know canada play mexico or uh you know israel and you know so i i really thought that there was some kind of cool like different ways the teams were celebrating and the different ways the teams showed their pride and i think that they like there is really kind of cool it is a little bit like some cultural personalities coming through some 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 countries personalities coming through and then everybody seems to really care about it like everyone is really into it and is really having a good time and if the players are having such a good time maybe that should be a clue to us that like you know this is a fun thing that should continue and we shouldn't call for an end just because someone got injured we've had injuries 
with tanning beds. I think Chad Matola's like career was almost ended by a tanning bed. Uh, we've got massage situations with Carlos Correa. We've got uh, we had we've had shirt things. Are we going to ban shirts? We've had people, you know, James Caprillion hurt himself putting on a shirt. Zach Plesak hurt himself putting on a shirt. I mean, you know, if we're banning shirts for baseball players, I think we could probably get some people on board. But uh, the, the general population's not going to get behind that. So uh, I think that some of this stuff is overboard. And yeah. really my general uh, takeaway from the WBC has been this is fun. You know, Trout is out here saying this is just a ton of fun and really fun and like it, he was saying to other players if you're sitting here watching this at home he's probably talking to the american pitchers who aren't there because uh america might be in a little bit better spot if it had some better pitching but uh they've got a great lineup they'll slug their way through it and uh i i think the the favorites probably japan uh america Puerto Rico's looking pretty good. Venezuela's looking pretty good. Those are that's my top four. But it's just been really fun to watch, and I think this is just uh, it's unfortunate. You know, we've had we've had celebration injuries in regular baseball. We've had injuries. What was it? Clint Barmy's had some like deer meat. Deer or meat trying to lug deer meat up a stair a staircase. Life happens, man. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's not a yeah, not a thing that that happens. You know, very often that one oh, especially. No. <laughs> but no, I, I had the same reaction. You know, like Kendris Morales, uh, and that was yeah. that was that. I'm trying to remember if that was. I think it was a playoff game, wasn't that? I think the pushback would be that like he was celebrating a playoff game, so you know that's a more meaningful game, and this was celebrating a WBC game. But how I mean, often does it happen, can... though, in any situation? Oh. Not very right. It doesn't have that often. And also you're putting a lot of your own value system on whether this game is meaningless. You know what I mean, True. like if Edwin Diaz was celebrating like that, the game was not meaningless to him. You know what I mean? So uh I don't know. I feel like uh I feel like this game was meaningful to the players that were in it, and uh it's just an unfortunate thing that happened. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And you know, I, I hate to uh you know elevate the the statements like the one that you referred to. Um, you know, because to me, it's just so patently ridiculous and, and even offensive, but yeah, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, it clearly is, is meaningful to the players. It's fun to watch. And, and, you know, this sort of thing, it, it's such an overreaction because this sort of injury just happens so rarely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny too, as, as fantasy guys, like you can't help that part of your brain, you know, like the, the thing happens and you're like. Hmm, I wonder who's going to close for the Mets this year. <laughs> it is it is the most awkward segue to make in our our line of work. So bad. <laughs> and I was in a, I was in a slow draft at the time that it happened, and I immediately clicked over to slow draft to see how many picks till mine, and I was like, oh, 10 picks. Nope, I'm not getting either of them. So I mean, I think the 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 main contenders for this are uh, pretty obviously David Robertson and Adam Ottavino. Um, and the, you know, the pitching projections that we've got that use stuff plus, uh, actually like Ottavino by a third of a run, he's got like a three, two, six ERA in this, um, <clears throat> and a 28% strikeout rate. And Robertson, uh, is projected uh, for a three. Oh, there he is. Three, three. Actually, it's a, it's a virtual tie, uh, three, three to a three, two, six. And uh, Robertson actually has a 29.9% strikeout rate, projected strikeout rate. So 
Uh, I'm glad I, I I'm glad I checked my work on that one because I, earlier I looked and it said three five. I must have been looking at a different Robertson because um, my inclination, my gut feel is actually Robertson. And my gut feel is that this is going to be a tough situation. I mean, in part right now, because we don't know how long Diaz will be out, but also it, it strikes me as a situation. It's, it's, it's a bullpen that has some depth. Uh, Brooks Raley uh, in the, the Rays situation, of course, that's, you know, everybody gets saves there. I mean, not literally, but he got, I think, half a dozen last year and he's, he's a skilled reliever. He's hurt right now, but shouldn't be out for too long. And uh, Drew Smith, you know, so I could see, I could see this going a number of ways. I don't know that Robertson or, or Adovino would necessarily get a large enough share that it would, you know, that it would have been a good move to to make that pick, even if you could have. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's only been ten pitches, uh, so it's a very small sample. But uh, the stuff has been good on Robertson in a virtual tie with Pete Fairbanks. Uh, he's closed in the past. Uh, and they, I think they'll probably be looking for, uh, you know, a one-person solution. Um, especially since, yes, there was some good depth. I, I, but in terms of, like, sort of standout guys, uh, I think it still is Ottavino and Robertson. And I think you want Ottavino uh, for to be your setup guy in this situation. So I think that's I that would be where I would put uh, my ducats. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, see where you put. But your I mean, duck- yeah. if you're saying that like he doesn't necessarily, David Robertson doesn't necessarily rise to like you know first or second tier. Yes, you know, I would. I'd still think he's probably a third or fourth tier closer. But okay. Well, if we convert that into um, like RP one, RP two for let's say fifteen teamers, would you feel all right about going after Robertson for RP two? Yeah, I think so. But uh, I'd feel better if I got him as a three. Fair enough. There were probably some leagues drafting as if that thing happened. Just click. (laughs) Robertson, fourth reliever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's let's uh, look a little little bit uh, more uh, macro uh, at this because Diaz was and rightfully so considered the top reliever fantasy wise. Mm. And I think you know you and I have talked about this at least once or twice so far this spring that uh, there's been this trend the last couple of years of going very very early on closers. And now one of the big names is going to gonna fall a lot. So would that change the way that you approach saves in upcoming drafts? And, and I could see this going at least two different ways that you could say, well, uh, you know, there, there's uh, a thinning at the top, so might as well wait. Or, you know, more, well, Diaz is gone and maybe there's more interchangeability once you get past Diaz. Uh, so, you know, how, how do you see this? Well, it definitely impacts the supply, and so we've got we've got less supply. That's uh, there's nothing you can argue about with that. Um, how you react to a thinning in the supply is also what you alluded to, you know? right? <laughs> like, exactly. You know, just because there's a thing in supply doesn't mean you have to panic. Um, I had a top tier of six that ended with Presley. But there's a lot of people, uh, and the market has Hader and maybe even Williams, Devin Williams, in there as a top eight. Um, and uh, I'm trying to avoid uh, Hader and Williams. Hader because of uh, the, just the, the hair up his nose, the command that was uh, so bad last year. I would hate to see that come back. Uh, and Devin Williams is an injury risk for me. 
But if you can if you can include those, you still have seven uh, elite pitchers, elite relievers, and I think in most drafts, I am still trying to get one of those, just one of the cheapest ones. And the the reason I'm trying to get one of the cheapest ones is just what happened to Edwin Diaz. Also, just the fickle nature of the closers role. Uh, there are pitchers like Josh Hader who go in and out of it. People dropped Josh Hader last year. Like mm-hmm. you're, it's the one role where um, there's a stat you've got that just can be completely eradicated that your people are dra- drafting you for that can be completely eradicated in one decision by a manager, you know, like, yes, there are kind of mile straw types that are a lot better at the top of the rota- at the top of the lineup. And if the manager says, okay, now you're the eighth hitter that, that will deflate their value, but it's not like taking you out of the closers role. Like, right. you know what I mean? That's like, you go from, I'm happy about having this guy on my team to I'm going to drop him next week, you know? Um, and I just think that's way too fickle of a thing, but you know, yes, elite closers do have better outcomes than the lower end closers. And so I, I generally try to get one of them. Uh, but, um, yeah, with this, there's just one less. And, uh, and, and so I might be likely to extend my elite six to include hater to sort of replace Diaz, but I still see six and six means, you know, you don't, you just have to beat half your league. Uh, you just have to get to, you know, how you just gotta get one of those. Um, and so I'm also now considering other strategies that I hadn't before of just saying, you know, the pitching plus model does really well with relievers. Why don't I just get some middle guys? I will get so much value. Like just imagine usually you're taking in order to get one of these elite closers, you're usually taking them in the top four rounds or something. Yeah. Right. It has to be the top four rounds. Just imagine instead of taking that elite closer, uh, let's say you started with Woodruff in the second or third and you double tapped. And by my rankings, um, you know, in the fourth, I'm, uh, where am I? I've got so many tabs. Open. <laughs> <laughs> where? Let me find it. But uh, let's say who, like who, who might be available in the fourth instead of a closer. If you've got an ADP or a recent draft open. Again, that would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> Where but, is my ranking? Yeah, well, I'm thinking, I think like Kyle Schwarber is somebody I think I've taken. No, I was that. thinking starting pitcher. Oh, starting just, pitcher. Okay, just, so you're uh, talking about a different uh, position. Uh, but so, yeah, just uh, but I think just to keep it within pitching. Like you could take an elite closer or you could double tap Woodruff with maybe Shane McClanahan. Uh, what do I have? I have Max Scherzer. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Scherzer, Zach Wheeler. Or Castillo, Luis Castillo. Yeah. Do you know the difference between Luis Castillo and a closer? You're talking about like 130 innings, you know? And, and, and he, I've got him projected for a 312 ERA. Yes, closers probably start with a two, but I don't know, man. Like, I think Luis Castillo is worth more than a closer. <laughs> I would, just, I would too. And I mean, this is why. In, in a vacuum. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to answer my own question, I mean, it changes nothing for me because for at least the last couple of years, if not longer, I, you know, I'm not taking any reliever earlier than like the 10th or 11th one that's off the board uh, because they're just going way too early. And I, and so you address the whole they- issue of, of, you know, the risk. I mean, there's just way too much volatility for somebody like that as opposed to, and, and you know, I'll make the move to a different position, you know, to a Kyle Schwarber, for example. Right. 
who you're just the the volatility there is like will he hit 210 will he hit 250 right the volatility is not will he hit me 35 dongs or not exactly exactly well let's go from the, could the manager do something change something about his role where he would not hit me 35 dongs i mean they're not sitting cash for you know no Definitely not. Definitely not. So yeah, a whole element of risk that's that's not there for a, a lot of players. Uh, so yeah, let's go from uh, what you know has generally been perceived as the best closer situation to one of the worst, and that is the Diamondbacks. But there is some relevant news there. Mark Melanson not likely to be uh, active for the start of the season, dealing with the right shoulder injury. So uh, likely starting the year on the IL. So, but kind of a similar type of question, you know, in that you have um, multiple candidates in a, in a bullpen there. I know this is one I've not been excited about. It. I don't think you've been excited about it, but at least with one person out of the mix, does that make it at all more enticing to try to focus in on one just like you were doing with the, the Mets bullpen now? It's just a little hard to figure out who is any good in that, Ben. It's not very good. However, Justin Martinez has uh, raised my eyebrows, and uh, and he's got a 111 stuff plus this spring. Uh, that's the best in that pen. Uh, you know, McGough uh, was a DVR favorite, and uh, I think, you know, he has above average stuff and, and good locations and looks like a solid reliever. Uh, but Martinez has the kind of turn your head, triple digits, closer stuff. Uh, this team, I think, is approaching respectability. That is uh, so mean and I know, I know how that sounds. <laughs> but come on, if you're an Arizona fan, you know could, what I mean. Like you it, could, it you hasn't, say, you it could hasn't say worse. been that fun. Yeah, I could, I could be mean, meaner than that. <laughs> uh, I think this team is approaching respectability, and uh, I don't think they'll necessarily play games with keeping uh, Justin Martinez cheap. The might one thing is is do they want him as a fireman in the seventh or eighth, and McGoff just gets you know the final three batters. Uh, that's a possibility. But if you're asking me to bet on the best reliever in this pen, I think it's Justin Martinez. And I think he's a little bit more interesting now. Do you think Andrew Chafin figures into a, a big piece of that puzzle, given that there there are other lefties in the pen? Um, yeah, Chafin has never been a high stuff guy. He's got right now, he's got a 94 stuff plus. He's not locating well, according to location plus. It's a 67-pitch sample, so it's not even that tiny of a sample. He's actually had good appearances. Um, the Managers use lefty closers half as much as, you, as you'd expect, given the number of lefties in baseball. Mm -hmm. You're right. That might have something to do with, do they have another lefty, and they need that lefty for situational stuff. Um, but the only things that I've found that are sort of – uh, predictive with closing is usually velo and strikeout rate. So that's why I picked Robertson in the last one because, you know, stuff, stuff aside, he had the better projected strikeout rate. And uh, in this case, I'm going to pick Justin Martinez because of the velo mostly and, and the stuff, which would suggest a higher strikeout rate. All righty. Well, you know, again, like I said, not a bullpen that probably many people are going to be excited about, but I you know, thought it was worth going back to it since that situation has changed. Uh, well, let's uh, get to, just a whole bunch of pitcher injury updates. Uh, we've actually got one hitter update. Uh, we'll you know, get to that. Uh, we'll, we'll lump the pitchers together. There's just a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, Tony Gonsolin is throwing out to 120 feet. 
and uh, able to put some weight on his sprained left ankle uh, per Dave Roberts. That comes uh, from a tweet from the Athletics Fabian Ardaya. Uh, still no update on Gonsolin's timetable. So is is he a, a worthwhile risk uh, with with upside, or are are you just scared off by this injury situation? Um. He's at the nexus of these these shift rules. He's maybe the biggest benefit of the shift last year, Tony Gonsolin. And uh, so I th- I was a little bit out on him. My model does not like him. On top of that, um, and so I wasn't I wasn't going to buy any shares. I don't have a do not draft, but like I wasn't going to buy any shares unless he dropped. And there just seemed to be a lot of people who were really into Tony Gonsolin, so. I was going to let them have him. Um, this also just makes it hard. I know, I guess this sounds like he might pitch sometime early in the regular season. And that's actually good because at least you're not buying someone where you have to sit him on your bench uh, the first couple of weeks. So I, this is, I would consider good news. Yeah. And no, I, I would, uh, would absolutely agree. That was the way I was reading it as well. And the ADP is, I mean, it, it's fairly risk-free, especially if you're talking about a 12-team league. Uh, NFBC, it's a, a 177 ADP. So, I don't know. I, th- I think that's, that's a... That's, that's, that's one little flaw with ADP is just the fickle nature of it, right? Yeah. It's 177 when you have to think, I don't, I won't have him for opening week, and so then I have to sit him. So then he, he's dropping because he's an injured pitcher, and I don't want to pick... I'm not picking an injured pitcher who's currently injured. Now with this news, he's not necessarily currently. He's just throwing. That's why I got Zach Wheeler in like the fifth or something uh, for my main event last year was because he was hurt, but I'd seen he'd just thrown a bullpen. So, you know, ADP was flagging and he dropped in our league because people thought of him as hurt. And I thought of him as uh, maybe missing his first turn. If that, he didn't even miss his first turn. So uh, that's how I see Gonsolin is like, this ADP is going to change. And if you are looking at his ADP right now, don't take it as, uh, you know, written in pen. Well, that's a really good point because I'm looking at who's above him in NFBC. Right above him is Drew Rasmussen. I mean, there's no way even with good news that I'm taking Gonsolin ahead of him, Jeffrey Springs, Pablo Lopez, Jordan Montgomery, Charlie oh. Morton. So yeah, there's not a lot of room, if any room really for Gonsolin to move I think up. He's hanging out there. That thinks where he should be. Yeah, exactly. So excellent point there. All right. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, he made his spring training debut through a couple of innings. Looked good uh, coming back from hip surgery that he had in September. Uh, what are your expectations for Whitlock uh, now that he's he's pitching in games? Yeah, I saw that. I was uh, I, it was two innings. Yeah, two and a third. Um, that's a, a really interesting number because it's a little more than I would have thought in a debut. I mean, there's a lot of guys who debut in spring with one, right? Right. And uh, and so he's trying to catch up a little bit, I think, to other guys that are uh, pitching for rotation spots. Mm-hmm. I really like him, and I think he can be a starting pitcher, and I think the Red Sox sort of need him, um, especially with Paxton already going down with injury. Uh, he's got an injured hamstring, so where's Paxton going to come back? Is he going to come back with two innings? If he comes back with two innings, it's going to be a race to see who's who's ready first, and Brian Bayo has options. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he's scheduled to throw two innings of his own. Uh, yesterday, it looks like. 
so they're all kind of stuck at two innings. They're all sort of in the battle. I would say those three are in a battle for two spots. Uh, Hauk, Hauk matters. You know, Cutter Crawford has an option. I would assume that the guys with options go down because this is a team that does not want to release anyone, right? This is a team right. that wants to, that, you know, any team run by Heimbloom wants to hold on to their assets as long as possible. So I would assume actually that uh, Bayo uh, goes down um, and um, and Whitlock does have options, but I yeah. do think he's the best uh, pitcher of the sort of Bayo, Hauk, Cutter, Crawford group. So I think the opening day rotation is Pavetta, Kluber, Sale, Paxton, and Whitlock. And that makes Whitlock a good pick near the end of your drafts. Okay, interesting. So Hauk not in that, not making that cut. Um, there's something yeah. about his pitch mix that uh, kind of goes reliever-ish to me. Um, you know, I know that it looks very salient um, from the right side, but he just has uh, fairly large platoon splits that I think are supported by the types of pitches he throws. Now, if he's going to throw the the splitter a lot, um, you know, maybe, maybe that'll change uh, his outcomes, but I want to see something here. Split is uh, he allowed a 338 woba against lefties last year and a 230 against righties. That's a, an aggressive platoon split. We're talking about a 400 slugging to lefties and a 220 slugging to righties, and that sort of thing is just kind of hard to get by. You can have teams load your, their lineups as lefties, and um, yeah. it's something that people say about slots like that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's stuff like that. Yeah, no, definitely a, a vulnerability. Uh, well, let's uh, talk a little bit about Ranger Suarez. And I drafted him, you know, with you in mind. If you're wondering why, why that's the case, we had a conversation. I want to say maybe two, three weeks ago on the show, and you were talking about Kyle Gibson as kind of a a type of pitcher that you want to target towards the end of the draft, you know, for for safety. And I decided few late innings guys. Exactly. So I decided, you know what? I like Ranger Suarez as that uh, as that type of pitcher. And oh. as as happens, you know, in spring trade, we were just talking about this before we started recording. Thanks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Took him, and then I think it was the, the next day or maybe even later the same day, uh, the reports came out about the, the forearm issue. So dealing with some tenderness there. Did play catch on Wednesday, is expected to move on to long toss on Thursday. Still a chance that Suarez could be ready for the first week of the season, but... Uh, that being a forearm injury really, really worries me. I've shied away since then. I imagine I will in my remaining drafts. Uh, so is is that overly cautious? They are having a heck of a time in that camp. Um, let's see. I think Christopher Sanchez was shut down with left tricep soreness. Andrew Painter... Uh, we don't know yet. Uh, maybe UCL surgery, maybe rest and rehab. Uh, we'll see on that one. I thought there was a little bit more bad news, but um, in any case, those two alone were going to be the five and six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now ba- Bailey Falter is the five, and I don't know who the six is. <laughs> so this is uh, getting a little bit hairy in Philadelphia. They also, I think, are missing their number two catcher, Garrett Stubbs, 
and their number three catcher, Rafael Marchand. So uh, things are, are not uh, hunky-dory there, unless Scott Kingery can catch. Um, I, the, uh, the solution, I don't know what it is. Uh, I would hold Suarez a little bit longer. You don't, we're not playing games yet. We're not playing fantasy yet. So, you know, it's just a question of, of waiting longer. I'm, I'm not drafting too many shares of Suarez, uh, but sometimes he drafts, he drops a little bit further than he should. Cause he does seem like a credible, uh, major league starter that should have like maybe a three, a high three ZRA and, uh, get some wins. It's a tough park, but you know, get some wins. Keeps the ball that's down type... though. Yeah, that's true. Good ground ball, right? And uh, I would just hold. Uh, in terms of drafting him, uh, I might, I might hold off on drafting him right now. Yeah, no, I, I have been tender and... forearm is like, uh oh, next news might be TJ. So yeah, that that is my worry, and I was wondering about that uh you know that pecking order you know six seventh starters so I you had the same reaction tell you <laughs> <laughs> that, that i did but i want to talk about falter a little bit more because you know i it, i think this does solidify his position in the rotation more but is that is that enough to make him trustworthy as like a an end game target He's a, a low stuff guy that has good command of a fair amount of pitches um my model says it's a four six six ERA though, uh, with that that park. He has a pretty extreme over the top release point though. Uh, I do think my model captures that sort of stuff, but uh, it's possible it doesn't. So he's he's got some some deception to him that maybe my model doesn't get. If you love Bailey Falter, then take him as your last pitcher in a twenty team league. I feel like that's that's. <laughs> Uh, it's the nicest you're, you're being be. mean I mean, again you know i am being mean again i'm being mean again but then like i told falter something where i was like oh my model says your changeup is is the best pitch um and he goes uh it's my worst pitch and i hate it so like wow. uh he's uh he's wide-eyed about you know he's open-eyed about his own talent level i don't think he would tell you he's the best pitcher in the major leagues or anything so I also that just park that park is tough, man. I don't think I really want to buy into that park unless it's Aranola and Zach Wheeler on the top end. Yeah, well, that, and again, that was part of what I liked about uh, Suarez pre-injury because I do trust him to avoid the home run. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even though he's not a, a, a huge whiffs guy or anything. So, uh, well, let's uh, go on to the Mets. This is not really an information void here. We know that Jose Quintana is uh, going to miss at least half of the season. He's uh, having rib surgery on Seems Friday. Seems gruesome. They thought it was cancer, and then they, they said it's not cancer, but he still needs to have, like, a bone graft. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah, no, it really is. I know who I want, though. Well, and I think I know who you want too. And uh, but go ahead, lay it on us. I'm all in on Tyler McGill. I got uh, a three six seven ERA for him and twenty six percent strikeout rate with a projected one hundred four stuff. Peterson, uh, I have with a four ERA and a twenty four percent strikeout rate and a ninety two. Uh, stuff plus projected uh, stuff plus. So McGill's also been looking good this spring. Um, I, I think that uh, he's. Uh, I, I was. Which is the right one? The Tylor is the it's, Met. Correct. Now you're getting, getting me. 
Yeah, uh, actually, that's that's Jake interesting. Higby. They're about they're about equal this spring. Uh, but, but that's 123 uh, pitches from uh, Peterson and uh, 94 from Megill. So I'm going to rely on last year's numbers a little bit to separate them. Okay. And when do you feel like it's appropriate to uh, to get them in the queue? Um, I have them around the interesting uh, sixth pitchers and ahead of the less interesting fifth pitchers. Um, so for example, um, uh, I have Megill around, uh, 108, Bailey Ober, 107, Nick Pavetta, right in there. Um, and I have them ahead of, um, of, of fifth starting pitchers I don't like as much like Michael Lorenzen or you say Kikuchi or Cole Irvin types you know paul blackburn, mm-hmm. blackburn types just because i think megill might be the type that you can play all the time whereas uh with lorenzen and blackburn i would want to only play them at home so that especially in 12 teamers that's streaming and in 15 teamers that's the kind of guy where you're you have to up and down and maybe drop him maybe pick him up maybe streamer mm-hmm. whereas i feel like miguel is a little bit more like maybe i'm starting him 75 percent of the time all right well, uh, bad news for the Nationals and especially for Cade Cavalli. Uh, Tommy John's surgery for him, so that's uh, yeah, that's that's a disappointing thing because uh, he he was appeared to be a lock for that rotation. A lot of promise there. Is there anybody left in the Nationals rotation who interests you at this point? <laughs> now I'm being mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow, we're just this is a mean podcast. <laughs> um. I've never been in on Josiah Gray. Uh, I want to check in on his uh, spin if I've got it. Um, uh, same same situation. 95 stuff plus. Not many pitches in the sample. Um, it's just a bad fastball. And I'm waiting on him. He has to change the fastball shape. And what I'm saying, what I'm thinking about pitching development is that if there's something immutable... I think an unchangeable and uncoachable. The two things that I think might be it are fastball shape and uh, command. And now, of course, everything you can shave around the edges. You can do this. You can do that. I think you could change your fastball. You could say, okay, we're going to go with a cutter. We're going to go with a cut fastball. We're going to go with a sinker. You can change it. But in terms of like really like, hey, this guy added three inches of ride to his four seamer. I don't think that happens. I don't think it happens ever, and if it does happen, I think it's very limited sample. And so Josiah Gray just has a bit of a dead zone fastball, and he has two good breaking balls. I don't know. Maybe he can do a cutter. Maybe he can do a sinker. Maybe he can change his fastball type. I don't trust the Nationals to find that right now. Um, So that's why I have been out on him. Uh, And then I like some of what Gore has. Gore, Mackenzie Gore actually has a good fastball shape. The problem right now is that his secondary pitches are just not really there. Um, let me see if I've got that open. But I, I've got like a 93 stuff plus this spring. That's That's been something that's popped up in the past. Here's her pitch, Mackenzie Gore. Let's see here, Mackenzie Gore. Four-seam fastball, 99 stuff plus. It's been as high as 105 in the past. That's actually pretty good for a four-seam fastball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, we've got curveball 81 stuff plus, 
Uh, change up 70, 69.8, 69, not nice. Um, and then, uh, slider 97 stuff plus. And it's not, it's not easy to have a uh, slider be under 100 sometimes. So, um, uh, for him, I'm actually, you know, I, I'm still actually into him long term, and there could be uh, some disruption that makes him good this year. You know what I mean? Like he just, you know, something where he throws a slider harder, or he changes shape, or he decides to go with a cutter instead of a slider, goes with the gyro. Somebody teaches him the sweeper. You know, uh, again, I don't necessarily trust the Nationals to do that, um, but he also has, I'm sure, advisors privately. You know, a lab he goes to, pitching lab he goes to. So maybe I like Gore better for next year after an off season, or uh, if I see him change his pitch mix during the season, I might jump on him. Uh, but that's about it. That's the best I can do. The best I can do is uh, you're looking for Jai Gray to throw a different kind of fastball, and he's throwing, and for Mackenzie Gore to change his secondary mixes. Otherwise, I'm still pretty much hands off on them. Yeah, yeah, not a whole lot there. Uh, so, like I said, a whole lot of pitching news. Uh, I've just got. Well, sort of a cluster of uh, hitter news all on the Yankees. So uh, Harrison Bader is expected to miss six weeks with an oblique strain. And uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is expected to get some starts in center field this coming weekend and be sort of a super utility player. And that might not sound like a big deal, but he was at least nominally in that shortstop competition with Oswald Peraza and Anthony Volpe. Of course, Volpe having a fantastic spring. I know a lot of people are... Rooting for him, but uh, you, you've got uh, you know uh, uh, at least a, a two man race uh, going on there, and also I think it's kind of intriguing for kind of for because I've been looking at him late as a steel source. Uh, you know we're all kind of scraping uh, you know through the queue looking you know what we're, we're a little short on steals. Where can we go? Is kind of for going to play enough? Maybe in this role he does uh, with with the Bader injury at least uh, for the beginning of the season. So how do you see this all shaking out? You know, infield and outfield are are very different skills. I just remember this from Daniel Murphy back in the day. They were trying to find a place to play him in New York, and uh, I don't I forget who was playing second. And they they wanted to see if Daniel Murphy could play the outfield. Could not. He could not. Do you, do you <laughs> think the fact not. that that kind of it was like caught, obvious pretty quickly? That- I know. That's what I was about to say. It's like okay. <laughs> he, of all people that maybe hasn't done it before, I kind of like he's done everything. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. I kind of think that maybe he can do it. And I think, you know, I was looking like, okay, I was telling people on one of these podcasts, if, if Volpe, you know, carries an outfield glove out to center uh, with him, then pay attention um, because I couldn't figure out where they were getting their fourth outfielder from. I don't really like Esteban Florial, um, you know, especially as a hitter. Uh, they can maybe use him as a backup center fielder and use a lot of judge in, in center. So that's still on the table, I think. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think Rafael Ortega is that great. I don't think Cabrera is a center fielder. They just reassigned Michael Hermosillo. So, you know, the list of options there in center are getting thin. Right now it looks like, you know, cobbling together Hicks and Hicks, Hicks and judge. But if you can put IKF in that picture, I think he actually starts to play some because, you know, Hicks, Cabrera, judge Stanton. Uh, I think they're all corner outfielders or DHs. And so that's four players for three spots with DH, right? So basically IKF could, 
almost get a starter's workload or you know judge plays in center some days i would say ikf jumps to like a fourth outfielder level that's where i would put him right now and i think that's that's enough uh certainly for 15 teamers i think to make him relevant get enough i mean he got 531 plate appearances last year he was a starter for a while mm-hmm. uh in texas he got four four hundred three hundred ninety six four hundred plate appearances in 2018 i think something like 400 450 maybe so if he gets 450, I think you're talking about like, you know, four or five home runs and what, like 10, 15 stone bases. Interesting deep league guy because he, he's a guy you can move around. Yeah, that's that's definitely a, a plus for him to be sure. All right. Well, you know, I'd said at the outset, you know, we were going to talk about some spring training stats. We've talked about stuff. Plus, I think maybe you've got some, I mean, you've been been dropping stuff plus numbers. I don't know if you've got any others uh, left in the bag there, but we've got some, you know, kind of more conventional surface type stats uh, that I think are kind of interesting. I'm not convinced that all of these mean anything. Uh, but one thing, you know, that, that you've brought up repeatedly uh, on these spring training episodes is who's getting a lot of playing time, who's getting a long look. And the player who's accumulated the most plate appearances so far in spring training is Michael Taglia with uh, 47 and pretty good production with those 47 plate appearances hitting 293. He's got a couple of homers. He has struck out 14 times. I don't think we we're going to expect him to, you know, become a contact hitter overnight or anything uh, it's kind of in line with what uh, i would have expected but do you think that this bodes well for uh, a bigger role in colorado i i do have a hard time slotting him in somewhere as a starter i do think that he's probably maybe a little bit ahead of nolan jones if he's getting more plate appearances than nolan jones and nolan jones is having a terrible uh, spring at the plate yeah uh, the, the the problem is that they they're talking about ryan mcmahon playing second and, oh, by the way, uh, I think there's going to be a bold prediction about Ryan McMahon because uh, he has hit a ball harder than he's ever hit before. And he has the hardest hit ball that's been tracked this spring. Just a little side there. Hmm. Uh, but uh, Alan Trejo is kind of like a, I think he's pretty much a like a fourth, a fifth infielder type or like a, a third middle infielder. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't think he's a solution in any position. Um, so Elohanis Montero. I mean, Togli, can you see what positions uh, Togli is playing? Because uh, I uh, need about a minute. So, But I don't think he's played third before. He's a... I don't think so either. Um, and by the in way, the, just... Uh, in the minors, it's been yeah. first and, and right. And mostly first. So is there somebody in the outfield that because a black man is kind of, uh, you know, is listed on the Fangraphs death chart as a, as a uh, DH. They've also got Mike Moustakas in, in tamp, camp and playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And he would be a DH. I guess there's an outside chance that, oh, this is what's going to happen. Moustakas is the third baseman. I think this is what's going to happen. Moustakas is the third baseman. Um, rises from the dead. Blackman plays the outfield. Grichuk and Daza play center. Hmm. And Toglia and Krohn split, split first in DH. Well, that's interesting because I finally pulled up those um, positional stats. Toglia's played 10 games at first base, by far the most he's played in and any Krohn position. Krohn has those bad knees. And uh, four games in right, two games in left, one uh, is DH. 
So, so I would I th- guess Crone is a little bit more the DH and Togli is a little bit more the first baseman, but I think that's how they make things work. Trejo is the super utility guy all around the infield, and uh, Daza, I think Grichik is basically the starter and center, and Daza is the defensive replacement fourth outfielder. It means Blackman's got to play the field. I think that's what happens. All right, well, let's take a look at another uh, piece of data. Jones goes of- down. Yeah, and no, I think that I could definitely see that. Uh, look at another piece of data in terms of where players are playing. This one's not a huge surprise, but I think it's interesting. You know, Jake Berger has played 10 games at first base for the White Sox. He has never played first base in the majors or the minors. Uh, you could see this coming because the way that the White Sox roster is structured, they, they don't really have any depth at first base. And, uh, you know, this wasn't a bold prediction, but it might as well have been one, you know, that I wrote a column where I talked about some players who I thought might be vulnerable to losing playing time. And I thought one of those might be Andrew Vaughn, because I, I just think he hasn't progressed as a hitter the way that that uh, I think a lot of people would have expected. That made some people angry. And it did. It did. So that was the one out of all those uh, calls that you know, probably more belonged to the bold predictions column. <laughs> but I mean, I, he, I could, he was yeah. 13% better than league average last year. That's probably enough to float him. I know that the war was below, uh, was below replacement uh, and maybe he is uh, slated to be, uh, maybe he's headed for DH. Um, and that's, that's meaningful because so is Eloy Jimenez. And part of, I think why they let Jose Abreu go was what they, they were like, we cannot have three DHs on one team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that puts pressure on Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger to be able to play the field, uh, in order to make this team. Um, it also means that DH is crowded. It means that Vaughn's going to have to play first base. I think that a fair amount of Vaughn's negative defensive stats were accrued in the outfield. I they mean, were absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the hope I think is. He's a credible first baseman. He gets up to about two war this year playing credible you know, defense. There's always the chance that he breaks out um, because he does hit the ball hard. He just doesn't pull his barrels. It's way too much the opposite field. That, that cuts off his power. If he goes and gets the ball, I think he can be a 30 homer hitter. But with his current approach, I don't think he is one. So I do think it's interesting to sort of point to him as – as you know, not necessarily at all he's uh, you know cracked up to be, but I do think he is the first baseman most of the time, and that means if Eloy Jimenez is the DH most of the time, then Berger is trying to be the backup infielder, and Sheets is trying to be the backup outfielder. I, I think there's a little bit of a Berger versus Sheets thing going on. Yeah. So the the impact is definitely more for him and finding a way for him to get playing time. But then again, it needs to come at someone's expense. So I just think it's an interesting situation to, to, he hits the ball hard. He barrels the ball really well. And you know, his max EV is good. And I know his strikeout rates aren't good, but in the minors, they haven't been as bad. So you could expect him, you know, if he did play to hit 230, 240 with, you know, 25 type, 25 Homer type power. Um, and so if you, I think, I think Jake Berger is kind of an injury way. If you just hear about an injury to Vaughn, Eloy, Sheets even, um, I think he's on that roster. All right. All right. Let's stick on that roster. Oscar Colas, who appears to, to have a, a starting job, uh, only one strikeout 
134 plate appearances. And uh, so he has managed to convert that into a 364 average with a couple of home runs. So certainly making a strong case, but I think that's enough plate appearances where it's, it's something to get kind of excited about. Yeah. I mean, the stabilization rate for, uh, for, for strikeout rate is pretty small. Uh, let me see if I can pull that up real quick. So this is this is from Derek Cardi. It's old and maybe it's it's not the same, but uh, it says it stabilizes in a hundred plate appearances. Okay, which and again, I I don't know that this is apples to apples, comparing uh, data that I assume is just from the regular season, but um, yeah, I mean he's a third of the way there, Colas. You said a hundred, right? Hundred plate appearances. So if you were thinking about his strikeout rate going forward, if let's say you knew his true talent strikeout rate, and let's just use his projected strikeout rate, right, uh, as his true talent. So twenty-seven percent strikeout rate would be his projection. Mm-hmm. What you would do is you would probably take uh, a third of what he's done this spring, and and two thirds of his projection. So you would move him by a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, but again, that that could make a big difference. I mean, if you could just uh, you know imagine him if he's twenty four or twenty five percent, you know, their steamer has him at twenty four percent. That's a two fifty five average with seventeen to twenty homers, and that's only in four hundred seventy plate appearances. What if he just starts all the time? I mean, he's exciting. He's actually pretty exciting. I, yeah, I, I you know, there's an outside chance uh, for a handful of steals. Uh, he's hit three hundred at every spot in the minors. Of course, that comes with huge babips and. Uh, and all that, and obviously, agent level says he's he's not like a top top prospect, you know, because he's an A ball at twenty three or whatever, twenty four. That doesn't he's not a that he's not a top prospect, um, and he does not really have much speed. And we'll have to see what his hit tool is like. But uh, players like this sometimes surprise. You think about Jeff McNeil, you know, there's a lot of people when Jeff McNeil's coming up and everyone's saying, oh, he's too old, he's too old, he's not a good, he's not a real prospect, he's not a real prospect, but there are some skills there and they can translate and opportunity is almost more important than, than quality sometimes. Yeah. And, and just the opportunities there for him. Yeah. I'm sorry. Just to play devil's advocate too. What this reminds me a little bit of is, you know, with the mismatch between what he's done in this initial sample versus what he's done in the minors, uh, Colas last year when Anthony Santander, all he did was walk in April and thought he was, you know, a, a completely different player. And that and and it came with a tiny chase rate and chase rate supposed to stabilize really well and if you now like go back and you look at the graphs you can do the season I always talk about these the by game seasonal graphs um, for uh, Santander you can throw O swing on there and you can see that he didn't chase at anything for the first. 150, you know, 100 or so plate appearances, and then he started chasing again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Thanks, you can, stabilization. <laughs> you, you can point to the stabilization rate, but if, you know, if he goes and then, you know, reverts back to doing something he did before, I don't know what happens. Especially there, if they right? have a long track record of doing something. You know, yeah. I've learned this lesson so many times. I, <laughs> I saw chase rate change on Paul DeYoung, and I wrote a piece that actually said Paul DeYoung is a superstar, and there's one guy on Twitter who, like, comes back every three or four months just to make fun of me for that. <laughs> that is that is playing the long game. Uh, yes, it is. I hope I hope he comes back this year. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's uh, take a look at uh, one other hitter who's uh, making more contact than than we would have expected. And that's Reese McGuire. Also, just one st- uh, strikeout uh, in twenty six plate appearances. He's hitting three hundred with a homer. 
and again, don't want to make too much of this, but I think that that's kind of an interesting situation in Boston where you have him and you have Jorge Alfaro. And my expectation has been a fairly even uh, split in playing time. But if there's something maybe that happens in spring training that that leans McGuire's way, then maybe he becomes more uh, attractive as a, as a second catcher. You know, it's amazing to me. He's in the WBC when he's fighting for a job. He's an NRI. He does not necessarily have a job. I think there was a minor league offer to, to Jorge Alfaro. You know, oh, okay, but I think that's right. Yeah, but he seems to be, and, and like fantasy seems to be acting like, you know, he's got that job. Uh, I think that's because Connor Wong has options, and so the team is yeah. going to say we can take this credible veteran for now, and Connor Wong can work on it. And if Jorge Alfaro stinks for a month or two, then he's then we didn't invest that much, and Connor Wong can have his roster spot. Okay. So I think uh, I think Alfaro's got at least a portion of that job. Uh, you know, comparing the two, what like uh, I don't know, man. You know, what what do you? McGuire's going to make more contact. He already was before this, you know, but he's I mean, not going to. It's a low bar. Much power. Yeah. Alfaro strikes Alfaro out a lot, but he also yeah. babips. Yeah, and he also th- hits the ball a lot harder. So yeah. You know, which one would you rather have? I, I tend to think uh, that teams would almost rather have uh, the catcher that w- could run into one. So it's possible that it's a 60-40 in Alfaro's favor, even with the strikeout rate for McGuire. But. Yeah, you know, I would certainly like to see something happen where one of them gets a, a larger share because at this point it's it's not really helpful to either of them. And you're right, Alfaro has the higher fantasy upside because there at least there's some power potential there. So yeah, I mean we're talking second catcher impact here. Uh, but, AL uh, only. AL, <laughs> no, deep. You know, fifteen or even fifteen teams, you know, if there's thirty catchers, uh oh, there's there's some okay. relevance. All right. All right. Try not to be mean. Right, <laughs> we're not doing a good job of that. <laughs> no, no. I'm trying to try to turn the tide here. All right. A few pitchers, uh, JT Brubaker uh, leading all pitchers in spring training with 20 strikeouts and just 12 and a third innings and just against three walks. Does this mean anything? And this is including his last start. That wasn't amazing. I believe it is because I, I updated yeah. it this morning. So. I've got, uh, with stats that include last night, I've got a 97 stuff plus, 105 location plus, 103 pitching plus. You know, stuff plus is more predictive, but you know what 97 is? He's 966, so it's just there. But 97 is basically average stuff plus for a starter. So what we're talking about with J.D. Brubrake right now is an average starter in Pittsburgh. That's useful. I agree. Absolutely. So you That's take useful. those strikeouts with. It's some a little bit hard help. to like. Am I going to roster him for the games I can't play him? Because I'm not necessarily going to play. Like, do I want to? Even in St. Louis, St. Louis, nice park, really tough offense. Am I going to play JT Brubaker against St. Louis? Arenado and Goldschmidt. I don't know. I I don't have that much confidence. But yeah, like the Cubs in Pittsburgh or. You know, the Reds in Pittsburgh or whatever, like a lot of those in Pittsburgh games, I want him. So that's that's where he's left. He's he should be higher in my rankings. All right. Well, while he's you, moving right now. I was going to say, why you adjust that? Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Reed Detmers. I just uh, recently wrote about him in my 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 Mike. How do I say this? My my guys column. 
So uh, he's thrown a lot harder uh, with the slider uh, sitting 89 to 91 fastball 95 to 97. And with the increase in uh, velocity that he had when he came back up from Salt Lake in the second half last year, just a totally different pitcher than he was earlier in the year. And the, I mean, to me, this is super encouraging, super exciting. And there's not that much helium yet in terms of ADP. Maybe that's going to be a, 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 a short window uh, to, to be able to get him. Yeah, I moved him up uh, and it's going to look weird because uh, the model doesn't didn't really like him. But um, and, and I don't have spring training stuff now because he doesn't pitch in parks that have the machines. Uh, but at the same time, uh, any, like any slider with any depth thrown 91 miles an hour will. And it already was a, a top slider. I, I would predict right now that this slider will be, you know, a top 10 pitch by stuff plus this year. So he's going to have an elite uh, slider. And then even if his fastball shape isn't great, if he's up at 95, 97, you're thinking at least an average fastball. So now you got an average fastball and an elite slider. If he has a third pitch, it doesn't need to be good anymore. Now it just needs to be a pitch that they don't they don't expect, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I think uh, I will have been wrong on the early rankings on Detmerts. I've moved him up into the top 70. Uh, and maybe I should push him harder, but I still have the fact of those sort of poor projections given his last year numbers. All right. Matthew Boyd, also an excellent strikeout to walk ratio, 17 strikeouts against two walks in only nine innings. He is still not yet inside the top 480 P I grabbed him in the very last round, uh, reserve round in the nerf draft this past weekend, 30th round. And I was, ecstatic i mean you have nothing to lose at that point and um, i'm excited by the uh the form that boyd has shown so far take what i said about jt brubaker rinse and repeat a little bit (laughs) a little bit lower uh stuff plus numbers but matthew boyd has also shown the proclivity to just throw the slider over and over and over again and there are guys who have okay uh sliders by stuff plus that just throw a ton of sliders and do well with it uh for example uh robbie ray and so uh, I think that the park is even better, although they are changing the dimensions in Detroit. That's true. So I I pause a little bit there, but I have them both at about 120 right now. And 120 is uh, where I put useful veterans who have rotation spots uh, that you may not want to throw every time. All right. Well, let's uh, just finish up here with the trio of pitchers who in a very small sample, and I want to like underline that, italicize it, bold it, very small sample, uh, have more walks than innings. Dylan Cease, and I I think he's kind of the interesting one here because he's had an issue with walks and an issue with command. Eight walks in just six innings. Tristan McKenzie, seven walks in six. And Zach Gallon also seven walks in six. Is there anything, you know, that you see in – in outside of those numbers that that causes you concern. He's had two game stretches where he was pretty bad with the walks last year. Even when he was great, uh, he had an 11, uh, 11 and two thirds, two, two games where he had 11 uh, walks, you know, in, in the beginning of June. And so he, he will have uh, these little blips and it's part of why he's riskier than some of the guys around him. And, 
I'll just say that, you know, uh, so Stuff Plus went up on Fangraphs and uh, so there's been some validation that's gone around, some some third party validation. So you don't have to take my word for it anymore. There's been people playing with the stats and seeing what what's predictive and what's not and all that. Tom Tango uh, did some stuff and found that uh, well, Stuff Plus beat Cameron Groves. But anyway, uh, uh, they're both on Fangraphs. So use mine. Um but uh, he, what he also found was he did not find much predictive value in Location Plus. And so he's a stuffist at this point. Uh, we've got a, a recent conversion, uh, a <laughs> convert here in Tom Tango, uh, who is really uh, uh, sort of an important figure in Sabermetrics. And so I uh, was really happy to see that he did that work. And um, so I hew closer to Stuff Plus than ever with, with that validation he's done. And so Cease, I think, can stuff his way through this, where he's just going to throw nasty stuff down the middle, and he's going to be all right. Sometimes there'll be some walks. I think his team would be really well-suited to give him the Tyler Glass now treatment, where he has one target. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't necessarily trust the White Sox to do that, although there is uh, Sam Mondry cohen uh, who's an analytics for the Nationals, is now a basically a coach with the White Sox. And so he's going to be aware of things like this. And uh, so I could see, I could see Cease getting it together. I just love the stuff. Did you, you, you mentioned the other two or was, did you just start with Cease? I started with Cease, but I did mention uh, McKenzie and Gallon. Gallon, I actually have some spring numbers for 101 location plus for the spring. Gallon, I can't find that many starts where he's had these kind of blips. But it's also, I'm going to be more willing to write that off to just being spring. McKenzie uh, is interesting because when he started throwing harder, so he had a little bit more command, but the velo was down. Then he went down in the minor leagues. When he came back up, he just started to throw as hard as he could, and the locations were down. So there is some interplay there with what he, um, with his stuff and his locations, right? Mm-hmm. I will say that I think I'd rather he threw hard. So uh, if that's what's happening here, I would love to know his velo readings alongside that. But I would say not super worried about McKenzie, not at all worried about Gallon, and just about as worried about Cease as I was in the past. All right, which is probably not that worried. (laughs) And if you want more uh, spring stuff numbers, we do not have those on Fangraphs. You do get those as a subscriber on The Athletic. And I am writing today about spring training stuff plus sergers. Uh, and so you can look for that up on the site tomorrow. I will be chatting as well for subscribers. So all Excellent. things benefiting subscribers. I also just announced a an event in New York. Uh, I think it's probably full by now. Uh, there was a, a, a real rush on the RSVPs um, for the panel. However, the watch party at Other Half Brewing, March 30th, the watch party is open for business for anyone. I have a beer with Other Half Brewing called Staring Into the Shift. It's got an awesome label. Look for that on Twitter uh, sometime. And uh, a new sandwich, which is a kind of a pork knucklet, a cutlet uh, that we put some matbucha sauce on. It's going to be amazing. So you can come have the sandwich and have the beer and watch a little baseball with me, even if you can't make the panel portion of the evening. All right. Well, so definitely something cool there to check out. And also do read Eno's stuff. And uh, with that... uh, Unintended. 
pun totally intended. <laughs> and if you have questions for a future episode, uh, you can email us at ratesandbarrels, spelled out, ratesandbarrels at gmail.com. You can ask in the comments section right here on YouTube if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, so uh, in any event, uh, for Eno Saris, I'm Al Melkier. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll be back on Friday. Thanks for listening. Thank you.